Good morning, everyone. My name is John. I am your host for today's podcast, The Research Review. This is our first episode today. I'm very honored to have my friend Alex on the show. Um, The main goal of this podcast will be to give researchers or anybody else who is passionate about their ideas a platform to share what they would like to see change in the world and just to really educate people who are interested in learning. All right. So, Alex, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Howdy. Uh, I'm Alex, Alex Moyer. Uh, I am a junior year student here at Kent State University. I'm a psychology major with an LGBTQ studies minor. I hope to use that to become a therapist um, or a counselor. And the LGBTQ studies minor is to hopefully help um, LGBTQ people all around the world. Awesome. So now tell us a little bit about your research. My mentor, uh, her name is Lauren Vachon. She is a professor of LGBTQ studies here at Kent State University. She and I hope to find how to teach LGBTQ studies abroad in a study abroad setting specifically um, in higher education, probably undergrad. Um, We want to be able to teach these sorts of topics uh, at an international level and keeping in mind, you know, the safety of the students, the comfort of the students while also respecting uh, the culture that you're teaching in and the local community that you're, you know, taking up space in. Yeah, Alex, I think that is a very interesting topic. I do uh, basic needs and security research, and through my lit review, I have found that there is a very high prevalence of basic needs and securities among the LGBTQ community, and I really think that um, it would benefit if schools were more educated on this and aware of this issue. It's a fairly recent issue. I know when I was doing some of my reading and review, uh, when would you say all of this started in academia? Um, LGBTQ studies got its start. Um, uh, well, the community first popped up in the U.S. Well, it's been there forever, but the first beginnings of a formal sort of community started in the 60s. I would say academia probably started popping up around then, but I've seen a really big influx of it around the late 70s, early 80s, and then steadily growing and increasing amount of academia through the 80s through the 90s and into the 2000s, the 2010s. And of course now, it's a pretty big field now that we've got so much basis from, you know, the academics before us in the early 80s. Yeah, you, you said it was a really big field, but for your topic specifically, education within institutes, institutes of higher education, uh, would you say that this is fairly new? Yeah, I think I would. Um, a lot of schools have programs for LGBTQ studies, but a lot of them aren't as fleshed out or they don't have really big programs, maybe one or two courses. Um, Kent State University, only within the last five years, added their LGBTQ studies minor. Originally, it was sort of under the denomination of like women's studies and gender studies, but recently those have been separated into their own minors, which is a really great step forward. That is a very good step forward. I noticed within my research that there has been a lot of awareness in colleges and universities about uh, LGBTQ students within the last five years. I noticed they just started pretty much measuring the prevalence of basic needs and securities and statistics among these students within the last five years. You said that that's when Kent State added their minor? 
Yeah, probably around that time. Your, your background research within education specifically in colleges, when was a lot of that published? When did that start, you know, popping up? Um, probably around the time, um, I think it probably started popping up. Um, maybe the late 80s, I, I remember seeing a lot, of, a lot of articles on how to teach LGBTQ studies and how to take education and make it accessible to LGBTQ students and also had to just teach the topic in general. Um, a lot of it around the late 80s, like 1988, into the 90s. That's really when it got its start. That's when it's seen a lot of publication, to be honest. But you, you would say that you are kind of like a, a Christopher Columbus um, within this new field still, compared, compared to a lot of other fields of study. Yeah, yeah, you could definitely say that. My mentor and I, um, no matter where I've looked, I haven't been able to find anything that is specifically talking about how to teach LGBTQ studies in a higher education study abroad setting. Um, I've seen things that are kind of similar, but mm-hmm. nothing that is, you know, focusing on like the well-being of the students and um, how the students can get the most out of this type of education. Now, did you say you were going to publish a paper uh, by the end of your research, or what physically are you going to get out of this in the end? My mentor and I hope to be able to publish a paper. Um, w- probably not during this uh, summer period that yeah. I'm, I'm researching because uh, we're still in the really, really early stages of this sort of project, it feels like. Um, but my mentor and I hope to publish a paper. I want to be able to help with that as well if I can um, get a, a fall student research position. <laughs> um, and I think my mentor also wants to present at some conferences uh, this type of research since it's the first of its kind, really. That's fantastic. What are some of the conferences? Uh, I don't remember the exact name, but I think it was the Lilly Conference, something like that. If you were to publish this paper, I, I really hope you guys do, what are like some of the gaps that you're looking to fill uh, within literature? Um, really just mixing LGBTQ studies pedagogy and then study abroad pedagogy. There really hasn't been a lot looking into those two put together specifically, and then keeping in mind the well-being of the students, their safety, and their comfort in these countries abroad, and also, you know, respecting the cultures that you're teaching in, but also giving the students the best education that you can. Now, to start off with um, within the United States, how would you aim to change the teaching or pedagogy of LGBTQ studies here before going overseas? Um, in general, there just could definitely be a lot more of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or it could definitely be a lot more accessible to more students. I know a lot of universities could probably have a better LGBTQ studies pathway or they could add more courses. There are, there are lots of topics to talk about within that subject. And a lot of universities, just because it's, I don't know, LGBTQ studies is considered controversial or political universities are just hesitant to do that, or maybe they're worried they'll lose funding or something. Mm-hmm. All in all, the administrators that, that has to go through have to actually okay the decision. I'm sure a lot of faculty are interested, but it really depends on the higher-ups and how we can get it past them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. A lot of faculty are interested, and I know especially here, a lot of students are interested as well. You mentioned topics. What are some of the topics that you would try and teach? I don't know. The community is huge, obviously. And there's a lot of history and a lot of controversy and a lot of different aspects that you 
that you could talk about literally anything you think of could mm-hmm. probably LGBTQ studies could probably be applied to it. But I don't know. The universities just don't want to take that step. It seems. What would you say to administrators if they were in this 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 podcast studio right now and you were trying to get this message across to them? I'm sure there are going to be some listening on this podcast. What would you tell them to get this in their schools? Um, I would really ask them to put a focus on their LGBTQ students. Uh, they face a lot of bullshit already. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of in the world around us, they face a lot of discrimination, stereotyping, um, targeting. And if a university is somewhere that they come to and they want to feel safe at, I think they'd probably want to see themselves represented in these LGBTQ studies courses. That's how I feel, to be honest. I feel like amazing taking these in my, these courses in my minor, and I get to learn about this community that I like care so much about. Mm-hmm. It's 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 I don't know. It's really amazing, and I really wish that other students would also get that opportunity. I don't know. It's sort of I would ask the administrators to like I don't know have a little heart, <laughs> think about your students. Um, they would really like this to happen, and it would be really great if it did happen for them. That is one of the things that I really do like about Kent State is that they support all of their students. They make an effort to support all of their students. And, you know, supporting people within uh, college and university, that's, that's very critical because if you don't support people on who they are and what they want to do within that four years, six years, eight years, whatever degree you're aiming, they're not going to go into the world and express who they are and what they want if it was not supported during their education. So it's very awesome that Kent State is doing that with LGBTQ students and pretty much everyone, uh, anyone's identity, anyone's goals, they support that and they encourage everybody to be who they want to be so they are confident to go out into the world um, and show that and, you know, teach that. Now, a little bigger fish to fry, teaching LGBTQ studies overseas, how would we begin with that? Oh boy, well, if we're starting from a university here in the United States like Kent State University, um, it would start with sending students abroad, would start with the advertising (laughs) to actually get them interested in the program or to get them knowledge about the program to see if they're interested in it. I know there was an article published a couple years ago about the kind of demographics that are represented on um, when you go to you know the education abroad webpage on a higher education's website that's you know your main source of information on study abroad and a lot of minority students don't see themselves represented in like I don't know the photos of like previous students from study abroad like enjoying having fun in Europe and stuff they don't really see themselves there Um, especially like disabled students, um, students of color, students who are like, you know, over the age of 30 because they still exist. Um, Obviously, it's hard to represent LGBTQ students in photos because like you can't really stereotype someone. You can't really tell from a photo. But for LGBTQ studies um, or actually LGBTQ students, um, those specifically, their sort of advertising comes from the information that's presented and information on how to keep these students safe and how comfortable they would be, what their like amenities would be, specifically in countries uh, outside of the United States that are more conservative towards LGBTQ, the community as a whole, uh, even places where being 
a homosexual or like participating in homosexual activity uh, could get you uh, jail time or the death penalty, um, even if you're not a citizen of the country. Uh, if you're found doing that, it's still highly illegal in some of these countries. And then, but higher education facilities are still sending students there to do study abroad because, you know, you can learn a lot about these places and these cultures. But how could you possibly keep students safe there if they have like this horrible, horrible threat on their lives? But how do you keep their education in mind at the same time? Can you keep them safe over there while they're still, you know, expressing who they are? It's hard to say. There really hasn't been a lot of research done into it. You know, you're trying to keep as much respect as you can towards these countries that you're visiting and these, like, local populations that you're taking up space in and teaching around. But at the same time, you know, your students are hopefully your utmost priority in their education and the quality of their education and their time there. You know, you don't want them to get jail time for being who they are. (laughs) But, like, how do you... You can't deny them the opportunity either. It's a hard thing to to pass. I don't think there's been a lot of research done into it. What are some of the countries uh, overseas now that uh, we're working with to get LGBTQ education in there that are a little bit more open to the idea? Um, specifically, my mentor right now is teaching in Italy. She has also considered doing LGBTQ studies abroad in England. I know that was a project that she put a lot of motion towards, but it didn't end up happening because of COVID, actually. But a lot of European countries, I've seen some uh, from other institutions in Norway and Sweden. Uh, Scandinavian countries are pretty progressive. Spain as well, I think. France. So yeah, a lot of European countries. But I wish there would be more push towards other countries that aren't English as a second language, Europe (laughs) type countries, you know, South America, Asia, Africa, even Um, I wish there would be more push towards being able to teach LGBTQ studies there, but I feel like it's, sometimes it feels like it's a long way out just because of how much progression needs to be made in those countries to keep those students safe. It would definitely be a big project and take, you know, little steps, baby steps at a time. How would we even take the first step to try and get in there? Oh, that's hard to say. (laughs) Um, Gosh, um... I, don't, I think it goes past higher education at that point. It goes into politics and, like, governments and activism in these countries. But even then, what can we do here from the United States? Um, I wouldn't have to, like, want to rely on activism groups in those other countries. But at some point, it feels almost out of your hands. I'm not really sure what the first step would be. Probably do our best to keep our students safe there and take our take little by little steps it it is it is very frustrating when you know an issue that you're very passionate about is out of your control and there is anything that you can do about it in the meantime but um on the bright side it's very cool that you're at such an early point in lgbtq education research you know this is just this is just starting in the broad field of in the broad field of research in general and academia this is just starting right now there has been good changes that have come so far. And I think as this progresses and progresses further and further, we're going to see a lot bigger changes happening around the world. It's a big project, but when you give it time and you have a lot of people on this, I really think it could change. And 
like I said, hats off to you for being like one of the first people, you know, jumping in on this. Academics are going to look look back and back on Lit Review and they're going to see, you know, what you did. They're just going to build off of that. So it's going to be very cool, you know, to see the progress. Um, I mentioned or you mentioned your professor's uh, project getting into some of the European countries, uh, England specifically. Yes. Yeah. It and it got canceled because of COVID. Is it going to go through? Um, she hopes, to, I believe she hopes to try it again, um, or to try to have this study abroad, uh, opportunity in England again. I was actually considering going, but unfortunately it had to be canceled just because of, I believe it was the rise of like the Delta variant and the Omicron variant that just, we couldn't really go through with it, but it, it was going to be a, a really interesting study abroad opportunity. We were going to go to like some of the different old locations of like the old gay bars in um the uk in london specifically i believe um and like go to some lgbtq history museums that they had there i believe my mentor is still doing work there in in britain um she and her partner actually they've started a couple things there with some of the lgbtq uh museums so that's pretty cool you said that you wanted to get a, a research position in the fall I, I really think you will. Um, you're very passionate about this, and it sounds like you know you guys are making a lot of progress. Is this topic specifically? Is this something that you want to stay on throughout undergrad or furthering your research career, or would you like to kind of switch it up a little bit? Not necessarily uh, focus on LGBTQ education, but more about advocacy, say. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. I could honestly go either way. This topic is really, really interesting, and since it doesn't have a lot of publication, I feel like staying on it would probably be really great for the field. But at the same time, like there's so many, there's so many things to research in this field, and advocacy is definitely something I'm passionate about. So I'll probably look into it and like see where else this takes me. With with my research with the basic needs and security, I always get caught up in you know the right now we're doing numbers, but I am very interested in you know the preventions and the solutions. What are some, you know, uh, solutions that you would have here, like within the United States? Because I know that is, you know, something that you can control and then that you can advocate for. Like, what are some um, ways universities can make LGBTQ students feel more accepted and specifically ways that they can teach other students and faculty about this community and the history and... Um. Increasing the size of their LGBTQ studies, um, the whole subject, increasing the amount of courses, that would be something that would help uh, LGBTQ students and other students who would like to learn about the community and their history and how to respect it and how to advocate for them. Um, But also, out of class, there's a lot of uh, student organizations that are LGBTQ studies focused. I'm in a couple of them myself. There's Pride Kent here at Kent State. There's Pride Kent and then there's Transfusion. I'm in both of those. I I believe it's open to non-LGBTQ studies or non-LGBTQ students, but there's not a lot of people in it that aren't LGBTQ, you know, because it's sort of advertised to be like just a thing for the community. But I feel like more student organizations for the advocacy of both allies and LGBTQ community. And there could be, I don't know, some events would be pretty cool, like a Pride Month event. That'd be pretty cool, like celebrating the history, getting more people advocating for and investing their time into and allying with the LGBTQ community. That'd be really great to see on higher education campuses. I I have heard of Pride Kent. Um, I have not heard of Transfusion. 
Could you tell me a little bit more about those two organizations that you're part of? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pride Kent is more uh, general. It's for everyone who identifies as a part of the LGBTQ community, and I believe it's open to allies, and I might be wrong. (laughs) I feel bad if I'm wrong, but I believe they offer support and information to anyone inside and outside the community. Uh, And then Transfusion is for specifically, like, transgender and gender minority students, like people who identify outside the gender binary. That's the one I joined first, actually, uh, my freshman year. And then I was introduced to Pride Kent. And that's a really great community for gender minority students who are like really under attack right now, Mm -hmm. uh, politics wise. It's a really great support group. Uh, They offer a lot of information and helping each other out. And also the LGBTQ Student Center. That's also a great resource that anyone can visit. I remember when I visited Kent State before I, before I, while I was still in high school, before I went here, my mom and I visited the LGBTQ Student Center and just like walked around and talked to the people there and like asked them what they offered. And that really helped me realize how much Kent State like seems to care about its LGBTQ students. And I was like, wow, I could really feel at home here, you know? Mm-hmm. It's in the basement of the student center, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's where I study. They have a pool table there. It's an awesome place to hang out and everything. But you, you definitely would recommend that, that students would jo- should join Pride Kent and then Transfusion. Yeah, I believe, I'm not really sure if they like technically open their doors to people outside of the community, but I know they offer a lot of support and information for allies if anyone wants to like get in contact or advocate. I believe they have, like, faculty um, working with them and, like, inside the communities, you know, Mm -hmm. faculty who are also in the LGBTQ community who could definitely offer a lot of insight and support. Yeah, those are very two awesome organizations. Um, It was really great learning about them. Like I said, I heard of Pride Kent. Transfusion's new to me, but uh, it definitely sounds like these are two very awesome organizations at the university. If you were going to start an organization or a course of your own, what would it be like? Like, give me, give me, give me some of your ideas. Oh wow, that's an interesting and very cool question of you to ask. Um, well, since I'm on the topic of study abroad, I mean, I don't know, some sort of international LGBTQ studies, almost like a support group, would I would might be uh, valuable for students who are interested in that. Um, just because I know there's not a lot of information for them, so. I don't know, talking to LGBTQ students who want to study abroad or want to, like, work in an international setting could be really interesting. I don't know if it would, like, merit its own organization, but I think it would be really interesting um, either way. There are a lot of niches within the LGBTQ community that I believe could be explored through um, courses and organizations. With my LGBTQ studies minor, I have been going through, like, the amount of courses that we have here, obviously because it's required, Mm -hmm. but but there have been a lot of really good courses here at Kent State. Off the top of my head, I don't think I can think of any that, like, haven't been covered. Maybe more that go into, like, the history of the LGBTQ community just because it's so broad. Like, even, you know, pre-United States, we could go into, like, the homosexual tendencies of the Roman Empire and, like, the, the ancient Greeks. I took Intro to LGBTQ Studies, and they went over that in the first couple of the modules, but um, I think it could probably merit its own class, especially for people who are history buffs or just want to learn more about the history of the community. I think a lot of people would be interested in that, actually. I really liked your idea of the international support group that you mentioned, because there are a lot of students where they are required to study abroad for their major, especially fashion. 
We have a lot of fashion students here. I believe there are a lot of LGBTQ students in the fashion program, and they all study abroad for their major. So it would be awesome to have a support group for stuff like that. You were talking about niche. niche how do you say that? I think it could go either way. Niches, niches. Niches. <laughs> Tell me more about the niches. Um, well, I mean, the LGBTQ community is a community like like any other, really. I mean, there are a lot of different opinions and different backgrounds that could be explored. I mean, off the top of my head, there are like, I don't, I don't know, obviously a bunch of different hobbies like there are in any other community. I don't know. It could, it could really go in any direction. I, th- I th- even though it seems kind of like like a really small minority, I think like an all LGBTQ like maybe like art group or something like that would be fun. I know a lot of LGBTQ people who are artists, or I don't know like a musical <laughs> group make a make a band. I don't know <laughs> that'd be fun. That that would that, that that would be really cool. You would have to start that though. Like you would have to take up the um, position to be the lead singer or something. Ah. Oh. I can't sing, but I I sure would try just for the sake of the community. <laughs> That's all right. We have a uh, we have auto tune in this studio as well. We could record. We could actually record it on the same microphone. Oh, sick. To be honest, I was <laughs> I I was testing this studio out yesterday uh, with one of my friends, and um, I w- <laughs> I wrote a song. I did a I did a freestyle on the mic. I'm not gonna do it now, but it, it it was the qual the qual the quality was good. So yeah, if you want to start the band, um. You could always use this studio, too. This has been a lot of awesome information. I know the LGBTQ community is definitely going to benefit from the things that you've shared. Everything else that you are going to be presenting to the world, you got big things in store. I, I, I already know it. If there was one more thing that you wanted to share with everybody, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Uh, support your local LGBTQ community. Be an ally. Advocate for them. They're all great. Uh, and obviously, big thanks to my mentor, Lauren Vashan. You're great. You're the best. <laughs> awesome. Alex, it's been awesome having you on. You're welcome back on the podcast anytime. Again, this is your host, John of the Research Review. Thank you for listening. Everybody have a good rest of your afternoon.